0: Davis is the Executive Director of Marijuana Matters, a social enterprise that works to identify and eliminate barriers to economic opportunity in regulated cannabis markets for those disadvantaged by marijuana's criminalization. In this capacity, she serves as a spokesperson for Marijuana Matters and will steer the organization through its growth period. She recently served as the Director of Public Affairs and Government Relations, where she led community and government outreach efforts to advance equitable and inclusive cannabis policies and regulations. Prior to joining Marijuana Matters, Courtney served as legislative aide to Senator Michael F. Bennett. In this role, she advised the senator on policies related to agriculture and veteran affairs. Early in her career, she worked on several successful campaigns, including Mayors Kasim Reed of Atlanta and Michael Hancock of Denver. Courtney received a BA in political science from Clark Atlanta University. She originally is from San Diego, California, but is a proud Ward 8 DC resident. In her free time, she and her husband and daughter enjoyed culinary country hopping. Gotta love it. You. If you want to learn more about what's going on, you can go over to marijuana matters.com and learn more about the work that Courtney and the team is doing to help identify and eliminate barriers to economic opportunity in regulated cannabis markets. Here's the episode. So <laughs> Courtney, 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 thank you so much. For showing up, showing face, bringing your your presence to the Passports to Maryland Cannabis podcast, and you know, first things first, let folks know who you are and you know what you do.
1: Yes, thank you so much, Keisha, for having me. Um, when I got the invite, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm absolutely gonna say yes. <laughs> um, so yes, thank you so much. Absolutely love what you're doing here locally in Maryland, and also the national presence that you have, and very proud of how um, I've been able to see you grow over the past two years. So thank you. (laughs) That means a lot. Yeah. So as Keisha mentioned, my name is Courtney Davis, and I am the Executive Director of Marijuana Matters. Marijuana Matters is a social enterprise organization that works to ensure that Um, Social equity is at the cornerstone of the legalized cannabis market, and so we do this work through three pillars, education, advocacy, and entrepreneurship, and Keisha has um, been a part of our entrepreneurship arm as a member of our Fab Five and our first boot camp that we launched last year, and so uh, always excited um, to see people that we have tried to help and make an impact on be able to do the same and reciprocate for us. And so love being on this podcast. But we essentially have um, came up with uh, a number of policies and recommendations that we consider to be equitable um, that we would hope that lawmakers and people in positions of power would adopt as they're thinking about creating legalization policy for either medical or adult use um, in their state. So we we help educate through that. We also educate community members on ways that they can advocate in their local elected um, offices. And then also for business owners, we have a set of recommendations that we think that businesses, MSOs and other smaller groups um, should adopt as they're a part of this ecosystem and building this cannabis industry that does no more harm.
0: That's a lot of lifting. That is a (laughs) lot of lifting. I, I too loved the the ecosystem and the community building. That's one of the things that drew me to um, marijuana matters was the fact that everything that the mission stands for speaks directly to my why, my impact. You know, community building, making sure that individuals who have been impacted by any type of adversity, whether it's you don't feel right in the circles that you're in, or you've been incarcerated for 20 plus years for a dime bag, like. I want you to feel at home and I really want you to be able to use the voices and the skills that people may have told you that you didn't have to mm-hmm. make a bigger impact. So um that's that is super dope. But I know that marijuana matters isn't your first go at, you know, some of the work that the organization does. So tell us about where you where did you get your start? How where are you from? What's going on? How did you get to this place?
1: My mama, and my daddy, no. <laughs> Um, well, I have been in, in D.C. for 10 years. I came here uh, to work on Capitol Hill. Everyone's always like, how'd you get here? It's like work. That's always everyone's answer in D.C. Either you went came here for school or you came here for job opportunities. And so I was a political science major at Clark Atlanta. I was very interested in working in policy. And when the opportunity presented itself to work for a Colorado senator, Michael Bennett, Um, who I happened to be working for in the state office because my parents were living there, I jumped at the opportunity. And so I moved to DC in 2012, and I worked for his office for about nine years. I really enjoyed the work that I was doing. I was a legislative policy analyst for agriculture, veterans, and um, defense policy, and really enjoyed the work I was doing. But Right around. I mean, there are a couple of things that were going on in the Senate uh, and the White House. I'm sure you all are fam- too familiar with. I don't have to repeat it. But I I realized that there was a sunset that was coming to my time in the Senate. And I was really interested in finding out what that next pivot for me was going to be. A lot of people leave the Hill. They go to K Street. Or they do the triangle, which is Capitol Hill, White House, you know, administration, and then you get to write your ticket when you go down to K Street. But I just really couldn't, I had applied for so many jobs and just couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do. And Maryland had, um, recently, there was a legislation that um, had given these grants to organizations to help teach. People, specifically people of color, how to apply for these um, medical licenses that were available. And I came, I somehow came across one of these classes that Kevin Ford at Uplift was presenting on. Uh, So shout out to Kevin.
0: And I started,
1: (laughs) yeah, I started going to these classes and I really was thinking that this would be my way to just kind of figure out how to pivot into the policy space because. On the Hill, I had worked on um, the 2014 agri- uh, farm bill that authorized industrial hemp research and a bunch of other things were happening and Colorado was already legal. So I was kind of thinking like, if this is my agriculture lane, like maybe I can get into cannabis. So I was going to these classes and they were like teaching you how to apply for licenses. And I was like, damn, should I be thinking about <laughs> apply for a license? I just had no idea. and was just networking, meeting people. I was on LinkedIn, finding out about all the ways that I could show up with the skill set that I have. Um, and for me, that included not leaving the DMV area because I'm married, I have a child. Like I didn't want to move to California to do this work. So I was very specific in like trying to find uh, my niche here. and I was also somehow connected to Khadija Tribble. Because I reached out to her on LinkedIn and she had this organization called Marijuana Matters. There weren't a lot of there still aren't a lot of businesses that are using the name cannabis, weed, marijuana um, in their moniker. And so I saw that it said it was based in D.C. and I'm like, this is where I need to be working at. And I met Khadija. We you know, I, I reached out to her on LinkedIn. We met up she was like, I don't have any money to hire you right now, but I promise you every consulting firm is going to have a cannabis um, division and people with your skill set and your profile are going to be very in high demand. And if you can, you know, stay in contact with me when the time is right, I would love to bring someone like you on board. And so I initially started with Marijuana Matters in March of 2020 and I was a policy advisor. And so that's kind of how I came on. And we had worked on um, our social equity toolkit, which is available on our website, that we're really, very proud about, um, that comes up, that presents solutions for the three stakeholder groups that I mentioned earlier, community members, public institutions, and business owners on ways that you can create equity the the role that you could play in social equity. So we worked on that. Um, did a number of fun stuff here in D.C., Maryland, and this was the beginning of the pandemic. So again, it was I was blessed because I wasn't really that familiar in cannabis policy, and it gave me like an easier way to ease into this. You know, all the meetings I took were virtual. I was everyone was willing to meet. You know, it wasn't like how it was when i worked on the hill you try to sit down with a chief of staff and you had to schedule it 15 times and and you get to the yes. office and there because the you know so it wasn't it was an easier way to network and khadija was just sending me everybody and i was meeting people here um, so i had a really easy way of transitioning into this space and so i'm thankful for that and uh fast forward to me spending about a year Um, in that role. And then I had a child and came back from maternity leave and Khadijah was like, you need to be our executive director. You've learned enough. Like, don't sit here and act like you don't know anything. I'm not going to accept that from you. It's it's so good about, you know, pushing and supporting women, especially women of color and letting me you know that it's okay to make mistakes. You know, I came from an industry where if there was a typo in your press release, it was a big deal. I mean, everything, you know, the work ethic was just a lot different than what, not to say that people in Kenra's industry don't work hard, because they absolutely do. But Khadija gave me the space to make mistakes and to be on this panel and not know what the hell I'm talking about. And she said, it's okay to say that, but you know, you prepare yourself and you're um, skilled enough to sit at these same tables. So um, became executive director and have been in that role um, ever since.
0: Yes, yeah. shout out to Khadijah. Khadijah gonna get all the flowers this episode anyway, <laughs> but how do folks who may have the same skills as, a, as you or adjacent kind of pivot into cannabis, right? If that's their interest.
1: Right. Yeah, it's definitely something that is necessary and one of the things that I love about the way that I was able to do this is that I hope that by me being in this role and with my background that it almost like further legitimizes this legal industry as something that is professional, profitable, legal. <laughs> I mean, all of these things that were not really um words that you wouldn't use to describe when you when people say cannabis. i mean some people still like laugh about it you know like oh you work in the cannabis industry <laughs> you get high you sampled and i'm like i don't have i mean what i do in my private time and as a patient is what i do but i'm not cultivating or or processing or or you know anything like that and so i show up um, with the skill sets that I had that, you know, was my career for the past 10 years. And I hope that other people say, oh, yeah, I remember her from Capitol Hill. Or, wow. she's in, OK, I want to figure out what's going on with that. Um, and so definitely doing I mean, networking is never going to go out of style. The, the ways that we network is different. But getting on LinkedIn, getting on joining these associations, following Our organization, MCBA, M4MM, Women Grow, you know, social media and internet has created a whole bunch of experts or or just ways that people can access information. So that is always a way that you will be able to, um, for yourself, can figure out how you can best be supported in this transition. So I would encourage people to do that. I mean, also your organization you know if you're in Maryland there are a lot of groups um, like Keisha's organization that have this really stronghold in the community and also in the industry because you know I always bring up these three stakeholder groups but there are there everyone has a responsibility to create an industry that does no more harm we can't do this work without lawyers. Um, to help out with contracts. And, you know, recently we tried to get some insurance for an event that we're having. Like these are all opportunities for careers that have to exist in this industry in order for it to continue to further be legitimized. And so thinking about what you would do, you know, at a consulting firm or what role you would play in-house for, you know, Scott's miracle Grow, who's getting into this industry pretty tough. Um, there are a number of opportunities uh, to kind of figure out how you can pivot in, but just thinking of it as regular business, having the confidence in your skills and, and knowing that that we've got to expand the way that we're thinking about this because there are just so many jobs out there. May not be in the states you wanna live in, but you know, we could talk about that too. But a lot of people that are trying to get into the plant touching side, if you live in, you know, Idaho, you may need to, <laughs> you may need to check out Oregon or, you know, if your state is not participating, you could, you know, wait it out, obviously or you could um, get involved in something um, in the ancillary space, you know, starting your own organization or rolling papers, like rolling bouquet. I'm just going to shout everybody out today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in our community, right?
0: That's how we yeah. build. That's how we grow. Shout out to bouquet.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, there are there are ways to, you know, if if this is something that you want to do, people move for jobs all the time. I'm not saying that you have to, but if that's what you're passionate about you've been growing weed in your basement and you really want to get into this legal industry because we need that expertise and and these are the population of folks that we're trying to protect and uplift into this industry you might need to see what's going on in florida or well, florida is a hard state
0: it is <laughs> But I, I, I tell people that all the time you know Maryland, for example, you know, we have a a few players in the MSO space that also have, you know, thriving locations in other states. Go and take your talent somewhere else. Start out Mm -hmm. as a trimmer here up in Frederick. You're going to have to take that drive. But guess what? You can go work in Illinois now. Right. You can go work in, you know, Texas, maybe, I don't know, Louisiana, wherever, you know, Mm -hmm. there might be a place for you. Not saying that you have to transfer, you know, laterally within that company. But, you know, folks love to hire people, especially burgeoning smaller brands. They love to get that intellectual property from you working at a, you know, a larger MSO. Right. So that is a really great point. And I think that, uh, you know, like you said, people move for jobs all the time. All my homegirls who, you know, black girls in tech. Everybody moving, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter where they live because, yeah. you know, they are going for that job. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of different opportunities for sure. And you mentioned the social equity toolkit. Now, a lot of people have, you know, their own definitions of what social equity is. Tell us about how you all have framed what this means and then a little bit more about the toolkit because I know that that dropped and you all are super, super proud about it. You know, and I know that's been a a couple of weeks but let's or a couple of months so let's kind of bring folks together refreshing uh, <laughs> what you all published i'm gonna edit all, yeah. of and
1: <laughs> all of that i mean it's really interesting because the the cannabis industry is one of the fastest growing industries not just from like the um products the innovation of that the side of the business but the laws and regulations. So when we created this, but when we created the toolkit and we published it, I believe it was 2020. It was like, wow, you know. And we would have these facts of like, 15 states are are adult use and and you know, 25 are medical. And now we're looking at it, and everything has to be updated. Um, But, you know, essentially at the core of the toolkit, we wanted to introduce the concept of social equity, which isn't a a new um, phrase, but it is a buzzword uh, phrase that everyone has been talking about in cannabis over the past couple of years. Wanted to introduce that and talk a little bit about how it can be achieved. And also, you know, through the lens of our mission statement, Um, where we're just creating an industry that does no more harm. And so when we think about, you know, community and the ecosystem, what ways can a individual that um, is interested, it's a part of the returning citizens community and is now living in Maryland, um, you know, what role can he play in creating an industry that does no more harm? One, by showing up and, and sharing on um, his center lived experiences. I mean, just being himself or herself and being a present part, of, You know, using their civic engagement to be present in this state and talk about the, the ways that they would like to participate in this industry or what can be done with the revenue that this industry will generate. One of the things that we learned during COVID was that cannabis became essential. That definition was important because that meant that these stores can remain open during COVID, when everybody else, when all the the Neiman Marcus in the mall had to close, <laughs> everybody else that was selling weed was able to stay open. You know, especially in DC, we had so much emergency legislation because of the medical patients needed their access to the plant. I mean, that's how we were able to get delivery. Was because we say COVID is co. I mean, cannabis is essential because of COVID. People don't want to um, potentially infect themselves by coming into the store. You know, folks that are immunocompromised, uh, the elderly population, and so we were able to advocate for a number of those things. But the toolkit has also has examples of ways that we think that. A state has created policy that has created that has contributed to social equity and and bringing um, forth more minority ownership within the industry. And so, one of the examples that I always love, um, even I know we talk a lot of shit about Florida, but Florida essentially um, created a law where a percentage of each sale from their medical marijuana card went to FAMU, which is a historically Black college in, um, in Tallahassee. And they were c- able to create a program. It's called the Medical Marijuana Education Research Initiative. I think it's, they call it Mary. They were able to create a program on campus where they educate students and the surrounding communities in Tallahassee about medical marijuana. This is not showing people how to cultivate you know, how to uh, process or anything. They're talking about the benefits of medical marijuana. They're talking exclusively about the Florida law and which illnesses um, are eligible for a medical marijuana card, the process, the cost, and all of that. And so when people are in positions of power are thinking about creating equity within this industry, those are the type of examples that we want people to use like get creative it's not just preferences on licenses like absolutely ownership matters and we really have a lot of thoughts about how to achieve that and um you know policy how you can use that through policy but coming up with ways to to use the revenue from a medical marijuana card i mean there isn't another state that's doing that um and it's a way to support black colleges um which we know have historically been disenfranchised and um, have had, you know, aren't as liquid as some states, or I don't have such of an endowment as a Harvard or Penn State, um, and so these are some of the things that we researched and would would want to talk to folks and say, hey, look at what Florida is doing. You guys are considering legislation. Why don't you think about something like this or similar um, policy that you could create? that would make an impact on these communities that have been you know, disadvantaged by the war on drugs. That's big. And I mean, I didn't even
0: know that that's the case. When I look at Maryland, we're at what, 100, we're, we've surpassed 150,000 patients. Fifty dollar registration fee for that card. Some people haven't even gotten their cards. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money. That's a lot of money that could go to Bowie State. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money that can go to Morgan State, Coppin State, University of Maryland Eastern Shore, all of our HBCUs that are in Maryland that can be traditionally, I mean, they could be impacted greatly by that, right? I mean, I went to an HBCU, went to an HBCU. You know what it's like when you go and look at a predominantly white institution and you look at their computer labs, prime example, (laughs) Morgan State. Versus Towson University, which was a, a school that I also went to. There was a t- there's a difference between going to Sopher's Library at Morgan State and uh-huh. going to whatever the li- Cook's Cook's Library at Towson, right? Four floors, books were abundant, right? That endowment really helps, right? Yes. Me and him giving back, giving back, giving back, and um, absolutely, that's that's a really good thing that I think um, I'll make sure I clip and uh share with our legislators as they're mulling about what an adult use framework looks like
1: um because a
0: lot of people are afraid that uh when adult use kind of comes in medical is gonna get pushed to the side um which i have my thoughts on right i think for us to be able to grow and expand the medical program as to the way in which we want it to be you have to have that revenue coming from an adult use market or having it earmarked for a particular community things like that um, I got a lot of thoughts about adult use, but yeah. when it when it comes to Maryland, though, the opportunities are endless. So what do you see coming down the pipeline as far as as we're just kind of rolling into this ballot measure conversation around, you know, opportunities? I talk to a lot of small business entrepreneurs, whether they're uh, legacy plant touching or they are uh, ancillary businesses and they're really excited, but also super nervous about what this is. What this is going to look like. So, from I guess a, a, a policy aspect, from your expertise, your skill set, what should you know? What should they focus on first, as it relates to not necessarily pivoting into cannabis, but you know, you've seen how markets have grown, especially just kind of East Coast cannabis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's some of those things that they should really kind of think about as they grow, scale, build their business um, to make sure that they don't do any harm as we grow and move into this new era.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, one, you know, the education piece, and we kind of talked about this earlier, just making sure that folks understand, like how we said we should bring this, they should give another grant to, you know, continue to help educate folks about what's happening. So I, I really think that states, Maryland especially, needs to create some sort of Streamline for funding that is going to continue to educate community members about the medical program. I mean, especially that's, that's one of the ways that you make sure the medical program doesn't die is to continue to let people know what the benefits are and, and they could, you know, also help support, um, innovation. I mean, there are different types of products like suppositories or sprays or things that, um, Individuals that are truly managing pain or managing some side of sort of an ailment will need, you know, they not everybody can just smoke flowers. So I think to continue to support the science and technology, continuing to educate people, that's going to be something important to keep the medical program afloat. And um, that money should also go to organizations like yours and ours that have been doing this work, um, you know. We have to be included in this process because some of the challenges that we've seen in other states is is they're appointing a regulating body of folks that don't even understand the um measurements of cannabis, let alone dose. I mean, they just can't really um be in the best position to make these decisions and they need to have a more uh, a more diverse group of folks at these decision making tables so. Putting some money behind that can ensure that organizations like ours that are focused on making good impacts in the communities can be included in this program. There also has to be upfront funding for social equity applicants. Don't make me wait for the tax sales. Don't make me wait for anything, for my people to put money in a pot. I mean, we talk about If we look at the breakdown of um, different state agencies and police departments, and I mean, the money that was spent on enforcement or anything like that. I mean, you could, when they want to find some money, I mean, even some of this COVID money that the states apparently didn't use all of it. um, Where is is it at? And it's like the federal government does not need that money back. They need to use that money for social equity applicants. <laughs> I'm gonna put that out there. Um you should because the
0: amount of people out here that pay rent for two years on a building before they're actually able to move and and it's mostly yeah. folks who brown and black folk who've gotten these earmarked licenses, but uh-huh. you know, take forever. Yeah. And learning
1: from those states that have those requirements, I mean I don't think New York is in New Jersey are or, or, or making folks do that. Like some states, you had to have that on your actual application process. Um, so while it's a good idea to figure out where your business is going to be located, it's not a great idea to have to continue to hold that space and and using and money that you got from investors, you know, to before you even start to make a profit to do so. So definitely, you know, having upfront funding, less requirements that um, that uh, are going to become more cost prohibitive than the industry already is, um, especially when we're talking about social equity applicants, individuals that we are targeting to participate in this industry, and also if they're not interested in participating in the industry, some of these dollars can go to them to start other businesses or they could go to, um, you know, there could be a, a grant application for, maybe they want to start a nonprofit, or they want to decide to, you know, create a community garden or or a- anything. I mean, the, the ecosystem is just so wide. I mean, I think that we have gotten so narrow-minded in a sense, um, one, about like making sure that social equity businesses flourish, but we have to understand that these are their businesses. I mean, it's not easy to run a business. If it was, everybody would be doing it. It wouldn't be profitable. Um, so, giving ourselves some grace and understanding that the policies that we're creating, you know, the policy process is a long one. We're we're here to create recommendations this first round, and come up with some review process that's built into built into the policy to make sure that we're coming back in a couple of years or in a year we have collecting the right amount of data that we need to make sure that these policies are creating the impact that we're looking for. Um, so these are all things that we think should be included in the legislation for Maryland. Um, but also, I mean, the the being again being a part of the process. Um, There are a lot, like when we all think of Maryland, we think of PG County, all these black people with money, Montgomery County, but there are a lot of other counties in Maryland. Maryland is is huge. People in these, in the Western areas, the Eastern Shore, these more rural areas, are going to have to become a part of this process um, so that you don't get a situation where there are only a few counties that are deciding to participate. You know, this is kind of like, The Affordable Care Act, the more people that are involved, the lower the prices are going to (laughs) be, you know, we're talking about a mandate, like we need to mandate cannabis, (laughs) like Virginia didn't really give counties options to um, not participate. So that could be an option um, for Maryland. Uh, But I also, I really think that with the demographics of the state, that Black people are going to have to be involved They're going to have to get some of these licenses. They're going to have to be receiving funding for these education grants. It's just, it's not going to go over well if there's a repeat of what happened when the medical licenses rolled out. So let's try to target, you know, the states can do whatever they need to do. You know, they they know how to spend money on public education campaigns, like. Let's really start doing that work now, because even if it passes in November, the policy that doesn't change the policy process. That still has to take place, and that has proved to be challenging in the past couple of years. There have been a number of, of bills that have been introduced, and we just can't. I and mean, that's why we ended up with the ballot initiative. We just can't get it right. It won't come out of committee, it will
0: not come out, it won't go on the floor, none of that, you know, in Maryland's 22 counties plus Baltimore City, I always say um, the folks who are mostly impacted are, you know, communities that have been affected by the war on drugs and our folks in the mountains. You know, I go up to Allegheny County all the time and I pass three counties to get there and there are two dispensaries. Right. I look at and hear from clients, not clients, but uh, folks in the population all the time. People from the shore drive all the way to Baltimore City. It's about three good hours to get wow. decently priced and quality cannabis. And that's no shade to any of our providers on the shore. I know what the bottleneck is. If I'm growing oh in God. the mountains, I don't have the money to get the my product down to the shore, right. especially from a small mom and pop shop. But it's good flour or good medicine. So mm-hmm. like you said, there's a lot of things that have to be worked out when it comes to a system. I don't believe the medical program is going to go anywhere, especially the way that it's touted around the country. Maryland's gold star medical program all the time. <laughs> i will be like, really? Okay, cool, cool. I'm thankful for it. Um, but yeah, we definitely have to look at ways to involve people in the process who may or may not want to have a plant-touching business. And like you said, running the business isn't easy
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it is hard and especially if you don't have any heart in it if it's just you know somebody through application at you and you've got people right. around you saying that we'll put this in there you're gonna be some sleepless nights when you're like why am i really yes. doing this right yes. to even to just break even payroll personnel issues like all of those things that come in with the the operation of a business so you know all those
1: decisions i mean
0: yeah, yeah, and no one teaches you that unless you go to school for it, mm-hmm. right? You were in jail for twenty five years, and now you opening a dispensary. What about the and the, the skill sets that you may get into an accelerator still don't prepare you for the shortage supplies, the competitive yeah. analysis that you have to do in the market, like
1: and your confidence too. I mean, like let's just talk about how. That the penal system has just really beat people down. I mean, we see folks like Corbin Cooper who have who have you know had a life sentence for serving can for cannabis uh, crime, and um, was pardoned by Donald Trump. And you know he's out here just talking you know freely about like what really happens to you when you have been institutionalized and you come out, you know, he's grinding, he's doing his thing. I always laugh because whenever I see him on Instagram, he always got two phones. This man is working, you know, but he has to, and he's one of few, you know, that a lot of people come out and they're like, I just want to chill. You know, they, they have to be convinced um, in a sense that this is something that you may want to do, how this is how you can participate. But yeah, like you said, don't somebody an application. And they're like, yeah, somebody said I should do this. That, that doesn't always mean that you should. So kind of helping folks figure out, here are your options. And if you don't want to be in the cannabis industry, that's okay. You that may want to run a dog hospital or something. I mean, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> so, die. I bet that you can't be the best. I mean, you got to
0: Yes. No, I, yeah, I, I, no that, so oh my gosh, we could talk forever because I got a whole nother topic in mind, but I'm gonna pause and bring you back closer to uh election day in November. Um, but before I wrap up, I also want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, you are a light, you are somebody who I look up to and I'm like, Courtney is doing the damn thing, doing the damn thing. When you when I'm sitting, I'm like, I just you know whether it be cannabis, whether it be community building, you know, you always have to have people around you that can inspire you. And so I'm always thankful because I can look to you for the work that you do. I can see the, the millions of headlines of the great work that you've done and will continue to do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, time is precious. So I thank you for your time for sure. Thank you. Tell me what's next. What's next for you? What's next for Marijuana Matters? And uh, yeah, it's summertime. So Hot Girl Summer is still underway. We got time.
1: <laughs> hot Girl Summer. Well, yes, we are um, working on a number of programming for the year. And we are excited that we are having Marijuana Matters is going to New York. We're having our first out of state event yes. actually taking place next Thursday. We have been working on a series of animated videos called our social equity explainer series, where we ask people in this industry to talk for 90 seconds to two minutes about different aspects of social equity and, and and with the hopes that we could humanize some of the topics that we are doing these panels and talking about all the time. um, but folks that don't have the media training don't ever get a chance to share their voices. And so we have topics about um, how to be an ally to the industry, what is next for social equity, um, collateral consequences, You know, what's it like getting a second chance? And we have a number of great speakers. Um, we call them our subject matter experts that are participating in this. And we are launching the videos in New York next week. It's gonna be also um, on our social media handles, Um, but we're really excited about that. And that is a part of um, the Rooted in Good partnership that we have with Curly. So we have been working on these videos. I learned a lot about um, editing and scripts and production, and it is a lot. So shout out to all of those people that, I mean, the cannabis industry needs more of those digital artists. I mean, I love Ken Inclusive for um, the stake that they've taken in that lane, but this has been a process. So we're really excited to have these videos released and we are planning on adding speakers as we um, fill out the year because it's just, I just love the idea of hearing from people and having something that is just they could live on YouTube or could be there forever, you know, also so we can learn and grow from that. But yeah, we're, we're doing that in New York. We're also planning to attend the career 40 tons career fair in Trenton, New Jersey in August. Uh, We're planning to do that. And so if folks are in the tri-state area listening and you want to learn about careers in New Jersey and the cannabis industry come out, To 40 tons career experience. We will have a booth there. And another one of our boot campers, Stacy, is is planning to come and talk a little bit about her experience as an entrepreneur. So I'm excited to be able to meet her in person. And then uh, we're planning to do, you know, we're gonna do some GOTV stuff in November in Maryland. I'm sure we'll get with you and 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 help us um, you know, do some education. And GOTV there just making sure that people know the ballot initiative is this day, but the real work starts after that as well. So uh planning on on doing some of that and then also you know updating our toolkit. Uh we have a lot of education clips that we post on social media. We started posting cannabis recipes, which I personally like always jotting down like, oh, y'all making tacos? Okay. I'm going to try this next week. <laughs> but yeah, and we have some other exciting stuff coming down that I really can't discuss yet. I hate when people say that cuz it's like, girl, just tell us. I know. So. But I really am excited about um something a product that we're planning on releasing soon. So
0: Okay, okay. I'll take that as an exclusive. Y'all heard it here first. No, I, I'm always, always in awe. Like I said, the the missions and the whys and the impact really align. You know, the tribe at Marijuana Matters truly is a tribe, right? Courtney, you do great work, but you've got amazing folks around you to help support that work. Um, so I definitely want to give them their flowers as well. And of course, shout out to Khadijah, because without Khadijah, there wouldn't be a lot of us here thriving, yes. surviving in this uh, ecosystem. I was on a panel a couple of weeks ago in New York with Jordan Coleman. She works for Surfside, I think, it's a cannabis company. She's based out of Georgia. And she said, you know, Khadijah, because this, <laughs> this is the the, the, the black girl and cannabis thing is we talk a little, bit, a little bit, a little bit like, you know, Khadijah. So she asked me then I was like, oh, yes, Khadijah, that's she's everything. And she's like, right. I never really met her,
1: but. She's but so you dope. know her and she's yes. done something for you yes that's yes. her
0: yes so that, that impact is real and you know that is truly the legacy I want to live every every person that I touch every conversation that I have I want to make sure that people feel like they leave with their best selves first right you can be your authentic mm-hmm. self um, because if not you know 2020 showed us if you can't live authentically you might as well just not
1: and just not right? <laughs>
0: Well, that is what it is.